Welcome back. This is Survived with Sophie and Lexi. We started telling our survive story in college and we're moving on to bring you guys more through many different topics. So we left off on our last episode kind of talking about our cats. (laughs) This is very (laughs) off topic to start the episode, but we were talking about our cats and their names. If you guys remember. Did anyone guess the cats' names? We currently have them named Nala and Ava, but they came with very human-like names when we first adopted them. Yes. I don't think anyone guessed, but we can tell them anyway. Yeah, we'll just tell them. I don't I didn't have anyone message me or email us. Um that's sad. <laughs> No one cares. <laughs> I just don't think people really knew. Like, there are such weird names that you would never guess. Because normally, like, when you go to the Humane Society, I feel like cats' names typically tend to be, like, Peanut or Pickles or... I don't know. Yeah. Something along Oliver. the lines. Or Oliver. Something, yeah. Um... Well, Sophie, who, what was your cat's name? What was Nala's name? So, before, yeah, before Nala was named Nala, her name was Tammy. Tammy. And I just looked at her and I was like, you don't look like a Tammy. And it definitely just reminded me of a character in a show. And I just didn't want to think about that character every single time I looked at my cat. <gasps> So that is why we renamed her to Nala. To Nala. Well, I was um with you when we got the cats. So to go off on like a little story here really quick. We it was way back in COVID days. It's not like that was that long ago. Um but anyways, <laughs> Sophie really wanted a cat. So I was like, oh, I'll, like, I'll come with you. Like, we, I don't really need a cat. So we made a new appointment. We went the next day. They it was just her- to look as well. We were both going to look. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Sophie was the one that wanted the cat more than I wanted the cat. And I was going there for, like, moral support. But we didn't really, like, we looked around. We just said, pick out, like, they asked us which cats we wanted to look at. We were like, oh, I think we said something, like, just bring whatever ones you think would be a good fit for us like friendly ones it doesn't really matter so we didn't really pick out any of the cats that we visited with but um there were two cats that we that came in our in the room and they we just kind of played with them for a little bit and that second cat that came in the room was actually Ava the cat that I ended up adopting (laughs) and her name at the time was Rachel (laughs) Um, I can't get over that. Like, Rachel from Friends. Yes, Rachel from Friends. I uh, I should have just kept her Rachel from Friends. But um, then we went out of the room just to kind of make, like, take a big, like, look really quick before we were kind of done looking. And Sophie looks at this 
one like little cubicle cage and it's just Nala sitting in there but she's not even looking at us she's like staring off into the distance like into the corner and Sophie was like this one mm-hmm. I want this one right here the the one that like wanted nothing to do with us and just kept staring off into the abyss Sophie was like this one well she was so cute because she sat um she sat all upright and she put her tail like wrapped her tail around her little paws and I was like, oh, she looks so cute and well-behaved. And she's, for the most part, well-behaved. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they both kind of are. Um, I feel like they both pretty much are, except for mine. Well, Ava's just a crackhead that never... <laughs> ever sleeps ever anyways well I guess we got a little off topic there <laughs> we just went off on a little cat tangent and if anyone here listens and loves cats then you know if you know you know <laughs> I could talk about cats forever but going into this week's episode episode number 15 woohoo um we're going to be talking about some survivor stories of serial killers. Eek. So this is going to be a trigger warning for um, this episode just because we're going to talk about some of the things that have happened to these survivors. And um, it is just a little, little hard to hear sometimes. So just a warning before we get into it. Yes, and so our little overview um, for this episode, we are going to be doing the survivor story of the weepy voice killer in the story, and the survivor story of Ted Bundy. I just mixed up my words there, but the survivor story of Ted Bundy, yes. Yeah, we'll be talking about the survivors um, who survived these two serial killers. Yes. Alrighty. And Lexi, do you want to take it away with the weepy voice killer? You know, interesting, because I've never heard of this one. Maybe if I hear you talk about the story, I will, but I don't know if I've ever heard of this a serial killer before. I think this one is going to hit home for you because it's very, very close to you. Um, but uh, to kind of start off on the Weepy Voice Killer, not a whole lot is known about the Weepy Voice Killer in general. Um, he got his name from calling the police and he would report his own murders. And mm-hmm. it would... He would... While on the phone, it sounded like he was crying, thus the name, the Weepy Voice Killer. So, what? Yeah. So, at the time, they didn't have, like, cell phone tracking. They had, like, pay phones. Like, literally, like, cell phones weren't even existing back then when this happened. So, he would call himself to the police, basically, and turn himself in, but wouldn't say his name or anything. He'd just say what he did, how he did it. And that he needed to be stopped and would, like, sound like he was crying. That's insane how he would say 
it was him, but then they couldn't find him or track him. What? I didn't even know this. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know. It's it's pretty scary how this all kind of plays out. Uh, anyways. <laughs> so, to start off this story, we're going to go to Minnesota. Minnesota. Minnesota, eh? Um... Around St. Paul and Minneapolis area is where these murders took place. Um, Paul Michael Stephan was born on September 4th, 1944, to a very deeply religious household. Um, He was one of 10 children. And the reason why I kind of put this in here, um, he really, really... Uh, when he was caught, he really said that he wanted to go to heaven. And basically, he did all these things to abide, to make his sins go away. Um, what? I don't I don't really know. There's some type of, like, connection between the Catholic religion for him that he really used, he said, to, like, murder his victims. So it's very, it's just a very interesting story about how this whole thing kind of started. Again, like, not a whole lot is known about him. Um, So we really don't have that much information to go off of, especially from his childhood. So he could just be saying that. But I just thought Mm -hmm. that kind of interesting to specify. But to keep this short and simple, he wasn't a nice guy um, at all. He was a POS. So moving on to the first victim. It took place on New Year's Eve of 1980. Karen Potak, who had just arrived in Minnesota to to visit her sister, Karen, to visit her sister. And her sister's name was not Karen. Karen. I was like two Karens. <laughs> two Karens. No. Um Karen was a student at UW Stevens Point. So she's from Wisconsin. Um her sister was going to the university in Minnesota. I don't remember. It didn't specify when I tried to look for it, it didn't specify where her sister went. Um but they had been downtown uh Minneapolis this night. Um, at midnight, Karen was seen leaving the party, and apparently she was very, very drunk. Um, but I don't really like it when we kind of, like, shame women. So when I was reading and researching this, a lot of articles just kind of blamed her for being the one to drunk, to walk around drunk. But it's like, she probably just wanted to go home and sleep for the rest of the night. Exactly. So the men that decide to write those articles, I'm sorry, but No. No, she was just trying to go home. And back in the 80s, a lot of, like, scary stuff wasn't really public to the knowledge. Yeah, public to the knowledge. (laughs) Knowledge to the public. Whatever way you (laughs) want to put it. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) That did not sound right. (laughs) So, around 3 in the morning, the police received a phone call. And it said, this is an emergency. A girl is hurt by the tracks. You must help her. Um, 
So this was a phone call that he made. This is the first phone call that he ever made. And he um, made it right after he attacked her. Now, in the rest of the victims, it took a couple days before he reported it and said where he would put the bodies. Um, But he really wanted this first victim to be known. So when police arrived, they found Karen naked, uh, beaten, and with a cracked skull. She had been beaten so badly with a tire a tire iron. Oh my gosh. Now, okay. Are you ready for this? Let me tell you much how much of a bad bitch Karen is. She lived. She's still she alive lived? today. Yep, she's still oh alive my today. Goodness. She underwent life-saving surgery. And when she woke up, she didn't remember anything. She had no clue why she was at the hospital. What happened? Just forgot everything. Um, And I think it can go, like, kind of both ways. Um, It kind of sucks that she had no recollection of what he looked like. But I think it's better for her because that has to be very traumatizing to go through all of that. So her brain probably just... One, obviously she had a cracked skull, so it could have done some brain damage, some memory damage. Um... Or two, her brain just suppressed it. And blocked it out. Yeah. I mean, trauma. even, like, when we told our story, guys, we even said, like, both of us would be like, oh, my God, yeah, I remember that now. Like, one of us would remember something, the other one wouldn't remember something, or we would remember things completely different. But it is, like, the craziest thing how your body will do everything in its power to protect you like your mind will try to protect you it will not let you remember something if it's going to hurt you so that's why it just blocks it yeah it's crazy how that happens Mm -hmm. um so about 14 months later this was the next victim On June 3rd, 1981, Kimberly Compton, who was 18 at the time, she had just moved to Minnesota um, after living in a small town. Her population of the town didn't even have a thousand people in it. She was trying to make something of herself, um, living out at this um, place out here in Minnesota. And so she literally had just gotten to Minnesota, went to a coffee shop, and that is when Paul noticed her. She had only been in Minnesota for one day when this happened. Jeez. Um, So unfortunately, she did not make it. She's not a surviving victim. Um, Kimberly was found stabbed with an ice pick. An ice pick? Jeez. And so after she found... Um, after she was phoned, Paul, who was still unknown at this time, made a call saying, God damn, will you find me? I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. And then two days later, after that phone call, he called back and said, I'll try not to kill anybody else. And so he calls into the police and is like, crying or does he sound like he's crying and saying these things yeah um he's crying you can look up the 
uh, repeat voice killers phone calls and um, he can like I wanted to put them like attach them into this episode but because we don't own the legal rights to them I don't really feel comfortable doing that yeah true but you can look them up on YouTube and you just type in weepy voice killer um, phone calls and then you can hear him. They're kind of hard to uh, diff- kind of pick up on what he's trying to say because he's crying. It, like you like can decipher it. Yeah, it's hard to decipher because you can tell he's obviously like upset. Um, so our next victim took place on August 5th of 1982. If you guys can tell, like, he really, really spaces out his kills. He doesn't do it, like, every other week, kind of. But, um... Yeah, isn't this, like, once a year? So far? Basically, yeah. The last two victims were in 1982. He only, um, is connected to four people, but he was, uh... We will talk about that um, later on because I'm going to talk about when he gets captured and stuff and how that all, what ends up happening. But um, so on August 5th of 1982, 40-year-old Barbara Simmons was found stabbed to death with an ice pick. Her body was discovered near the Mississippi River. And again, two days later, the police received a phone call. Please don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Jeez. Um, and moving on to our last victim, Denise Williams, a 19-year-old sex worker. And I kind of just want to say this really quick. So now before you guys all say, oh, she was a sex worker, it doesn't matter. Um, she's probably asking for it. 99% of the time when you are a sex worker, it you are not, you don't want to do that. Like, you're forced to do that because, like, that's the only option you have. She probably didn't have any family. She had no one to go back on. She had no way of, like, starting herself. No money. So do not, like, think sex workers are the scum of the earth because they don't want to do that. They're just forced to do that. And she was young, too, 19. Yeah, she was 19. Um, So to continue this story, the final victim was 19-year-old Denise Williams, a sex worker from Minneapolis. Um, Denise had been working the streets when she was approached by the still unidentified killer. After working out a price for her services, Denise hopped in the car, completely unaware of the horror that was about to unfold. As soon as the man turned onto a dead-end road, Denise knew something was missing. Before she even had a chance to react to the situation, he lunged at her with a screwdriver and stabbed her 15 times in the pa- as she was trapped in the passenger seat. Um, so, during this time, Denise knew that if she displayed dead... She was, like, most likely just to... He's just going to dump her. Well, she played dead in this passenger seat. And Denise noticed a glass bottle sitting in the footwell. She was able to pick it up without him noticing it. 
smashed what? it across her the attacker's face, and she was able to flee the car. She survived being yeah. stabbed by a screwdriver 15 times. And then even in that moment, instead of crying and screaming because you're in so much pain, she was like, I'm going to play dead. Yep. This, like, this, she's a bad bitch for this. Like, the fact that she played dead and saw an opportunity of glass and smashed it in his face, that's how she got out of the car. And she didn't even know at the time that she just survived a serial killer. She just thought it was some guy that was just trying to make his first failed murder. Um, So, following um, the failed murder attempt, Paul went back to his apartment before deciding to seek out medical attention for his face wound and that is when he called the St. Paul Fire Department asking for assistance and the department noticed something when he called his vocal his voice sounded very similar to a different phone call that they had been getting very recently and a lot of them he was quickly identified as the 37-year-old Paul Michael Stefani and that is how they caught him. He literally called himself in to get help (laughs) for himself after he just almost tried to brutally murder a woman and he thought he deserved the help. He was like, oh, can I have help? I have glass in my face. And then they were like, hmm. (laughs) Your voice just sounds like this other voice phone call that we've been getting of somebody saying that they've been doing all this you know really bad stuff yeah so he kind of did that to himself yep um so just to kind of finish off like the little uh story well his story i guess um (laughs) He was found guilty for the murder of Barbara Simmons, but due to the lack of evidence, he wasn't convicted in any other murders. Murders, not the attacks, not the two attacks that um, he got. So they're not sure if he's connected to more than just four, but there's only four that they've been able to connect him to. Um, Okay. In 19... 97, Stefani confessed to the murder of Kim Compton as well as the murder of Barbara Simmons and Kathy Greening. So these are, uh, Kathy is, we did not talk about Kathy. Kathy is a fifth victim, but that didn't come out till later. Um, and she was murdered on the 21st of July in 1982. He was motivated to confess after he was diagnosed with terminal skin cancer. And they basically said, yeah, you have about six months left to live. So then he was just like, all right, well, now I'm going to confess everything. And he died um, in Oak Park's Height Maximum Security Prison on June 12th of 1998. Whoa, Oak Park Heights? Mm Mm-hmm. 
I know where that is. That's where he was home. He died. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I've driven past like where the that is. Um little fun fact too. I live ten minutes from where they kept Jeffrey Dahmer um in Portage at the maximum security prison. Really? Wow. I don't know why I just said that on this podcast. That's okay. We don't have too many no. listeners, do we? <laughs> Not that many, hopefully. <laughs> we'll be fine. Um, I didn't specify where I live. Technically, I live more than that, but... <clears throat> but yeah. So... Two women survived, and they literally, Denise, is that's pretty amazing. I think that's pretty amazing. And the fact that um, Denise and Karen, wasn't it? Karen. Wow. I can't, I can't believe I've never heard of this. It's very... Like, even when I was trying to research this stuff, like, there was nothing. Hmm. There was a couple articles here and there, but that's about it. Wow. I Yeah, I cannot believe I've never heard of it. So, this was definitely my first time hearing that story, and I'm sitting here like, whoa. <laughs> I know. It's pretty creepy. Wow. Um, But... Both of the surviving victims have never put out a statement. Um, They've never been in the public eye, and they don't want to be in the public eye. And that is 110% okay. And I do not blame them at all. Yes. Heck, I wouldn't. (laughs) No. Well, if you guys have never heard of the weepy voice killer... And their survivors and victims. Now you do. But I'm going to talk about someone that I'm pretty sure everyone has heard of. And maybe knows the story or how everything went. And I'm going to talk about some of the survivors of Ted Bundy. And I'm just going to mainly focus on the incident that happened at the Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida. So we all know the name Ted Bundy, right? But can you recall any of the victims' names or any of the survivors' names? I can't. No. Like, I feel like we never talk about the survivors. It's always like the serial killer gets the fame, but it's like, why? Yeah, so that is why we both felt like we should be talking about the survivors and the victims in this podcast tonight. So just to kind of put you into where I'm going to start, because Ted Bundy's story about his whole killings and everything is long. It's a long, complicated road of everything 
But I'm going to start when Bundy escaped from the Colorado jail in December of 1977. And then he made his way down to Florida. And that is where he found the Chai Omega sorority house at Florida State University. Which it blows my mind how he escaped jail. He did that twice. Like, what? The fact, like, how... I just don't understand how... One time, yeah, I get it. But the second time, like, what? Like, I don't understand. Who was watching him? He has to be, like... (laughs) I don't know. I feel like nowadays, (laughs) if you do one little thing wrong, your boss yells at you, and it's like, I hope those people got fired. Yeah. Definitely. So... I'm going to talk about Kathy Kleiner, Karen Chandler, and Cheryl Thomas. Kathy Kleiner was a student at Florida State University, and we're going to call it FSU for short. And that was in Tallahassee, Florida. She was a member of the Chi Omega sorority. She enrolled in FSU in 1976 and then moved into the sorority house in the fall of 1977, thinking it would be a safer option for her to live with all of her sorority sisters. Kathy was 20 when the attack took place. And this happened in 1978. That's pretty close. I feel like the 70s and the 80s were just a time for serial killers to thrive. It's crazy. There's so many ones that pop out during that time frame. And there's so many that, like, we didn't hear about. Even, like, you just said, I've never heard of the Weepy Voice killer before. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I do have a quote that, or a statement of Kathy Kleiner that she said about the night that she was attacked in her sorority house. Saturday, January 14th, I walked home and I got into the sorority. There were kids talking about, you know, where they're going tonight, what they are doing, who they're dating, what party. And then I saw my book sitting on the trunk and I said, you know, I have a test on Monday. I'm going to go ahead and stay home and study tonight. My roommate, Karen, came in at the same time and she said she had a sewing project she had to do. So she sat in her bed next to mine. That night, I heard our bedroom door slam open. I was opening my eyes a little bit because it kind of brought me into consciousness. And I'm awake enough to know somebody's there. As I'm opening my eyes more and focusing, he raised his arm and he had something in his hand. And I thought it was just a pipe or a stick. I didn't know what it was. He came down and hit my face. It just felt like pins and needles and knives in my face. My roommate Karen was now stirring. He went over and hit her. I'm still awake. And I'm moving. So he came back to my side of the bed. And as I see him raise his arm up, this bright light shone into our room. This light was a car from one of the sorority sisters coming home from a late date. He got spooked, and he left the room. They put me on a stretcher, and then there was all this noise. There were lights from the police cars and the ambulance, people talking and the radios squawking. 
all I thought, excuse me, and I thought I was at a carnival because my mind went to somewhere I could understand. My name is Kathy Kleiner, and I was attacked by Ted Bundy. That is, see, we were just talking about how the mind, what your mind will do for you, so you don't have to mentally handle what's actually happening. I just think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And so this is like the night where he broke into the sorority house and he attacked the girls in the house. Um, And I will talk about the other girls as well. But just if you guys didn't know exactly what was going on. But yeah, very sad. And you can tell in her quote, there are like little spots missing here and there. Like when she was all of a sudden on a stretcher, she doesn't know. Like, that whole part is still blocked from her memory. And I think when she first got to the hospital, she didn't really remember anything. Um, It all came back in pieces over time. So, very, very strange. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. That's crazy again. Kathy's jaw was broken in three three places. It was basically hanging by a thread when she came into the hospital. She had to have her jaw wired shut for it to heal. And when she was healed from all of her injuries, Kathy did not go back to college. She was married six six months after the attack. She said she felt safe, safe with someone else in the house that could protect her. I don't blame her. Yeah. And I think I did see something else that said that she was very scared of all men after this and to help her overcome that fear she took a job at like a lumber yard because there was only like all men working there and that helped her with her fear of men because she was just been had to be around men all day but I was like wow I wouldn't want to go back to my college if that if something like that happened no nope like the fact that they had physical violence on top of it it was very brutal yeah it like her jaw had to be wired shut that and she said yeah and she said that so her when your jaw is broken they have to like re-break it correctly so it heals, like, in the right spot. So, like, that's painful in itself. And then they have to wire it shut. So you can't, like, eat anything. You can only probably, like, what, drink smoothies for months. And if you, she said um, in a quote somewhere, she had to wear nail clippers on a necklace. Because if she started choking on something, then she would have to quickly cut all the wires around her mouth. So she could breathe. Oh my goodness. That poor girl. Oh, I can't even imagine going through something like that. No. Nope. And the fact she's probably still dealing with things now. Mm-hmm. I want to say Kathy was the one when they came out with the um, Ted Bundy documentary 
I think she did talk on that. Okay, I think I know who you're talking about. Yes, I I think so. I think you're correct on that. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't mind talking about what happened. Um, I guess the other ones don't really want to bring it up or talk about it, I think. But Kathy, she was on the documentary. She did talk about um, what happened to her. And right now she's, you know, doing good. So Good. Good. I'm happy to hear that. It's always nice to hear when... The survivors are doing better than the killer themselves. Mm-hmm. So her roommate, who was Karen Chandler, and Karen was 21. She was a junior at FSU, and she was also living in the Chi Omega house. Karen decided to stay home as well than on that same night with Kathy instead of going out. And here's Karen's quote. We talked for a little while and then Kathy was tired. So I just went ahead and decided to go to bed. It was maybe around midnight, maybe a little bit before midnight. The next thing I remember is feeling like I was being lifted downstairs. And I remember asking if Kathy was okay. And them saying that she's going to be okay. You need to worry about yourself. I knew I woke up in intent. Well, I knew I woke up in intensive care. That's a tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have any idea why I was there, but I knew something bad had happened. I had at least one skull fracture. I think every bone in my face was broken. My jaw was broken. I had a broken arm and a couple fingers on my hand that were crushed. I was in the hospital when I found out what happened to Lisa and Margaret. And Lisa Levy was a victim of Ted Bundy. She was 20 years old, living in the child make house. Margaret Bowman was another victim, and she was 21 years old. They both were brutally attacked, and they did not survive. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And they were just down the hall. Today, Karen prefers not to live her life, like, kind of in the spotlight. Um, So I couldn't really find much about her. But just by reading her quote here, most of what happened to her blocked out. Like, her being hit, her being attacked. All of a sudden, she was in bed. The next moment, she's in the hospital. Her parents kind of had to break the news to her. Or, like, you know, she had to find out when she was at the hospital what happened. Oh, my goodness. And, obviously, she had some pretty bad breaks and fractures and things like that. And another quote from her today is, I prefer not to live in the spotlight. I've had a 40-year marriage. I have two wonderful children, and I have three wonderful grandchildren. I really don't think about Bundy anymore. Good. Yes. But. Oh, I just can't even imagine. (laughs) Nope. No. So after Ted Bundy 
broke into their sorority house and attacked them. I believe, I want to say it was Nita was her name. When another sorority sister named Nita, she was the one coming home from a late date. And that's what spooked him. And he left out the door. So Nita was the one to see his face and point him out in a lineup and point him out in a court setting as well. The other girls can't remember what he looked like. But Nita was the one who saw his face for sure. But after he left the Chai Omega sorority house, he went a couple blocks down to another house at Cheryl Thomas. So, and one thing that I don't know if we know for sure, but there is some speculation that he kind of cased Cheryl's house out beforehand and he was going to just attack her house that night. But there was somebody's car outside earlier that day. So he was like, no, I'm not going for that. And instead he went to the sorority house and then he went back to Cheryl's because the car was gone. Which is just crazy to me. But also, we don't know. So Cheryl Thomas, she just lived a couple blocks away from the Chai Omega house. She was 21 years old and she was a dance major. Which just hits home for me because I'm not a dance major, but I danced. You know, I just love dance. (laughs) (laughs) So... That night in January, Cheryl went up, went to meet up with her friends at the disco club. When she returned yeah. home. <laughs> I was just going to say, it would be so cool if they still had disco clubs. Like, I'll go every night. Yeah, that would be fun. Now they just have bars. Like, ugh. Dumb. When she returned home, she made some food and watched TV before crawling into her bed, not knowing what was going to happen next. And Cheryl lived alone by herself. I believe she lived in kind of like a duplex. So she did have neighbors on the other side of her that were close. Bundy crawled through Cheryl's, Cheryl's kitchen window and was, quoting by her, was wearing pantyhose over his face with holes cut out for eyes. Which is the creepiest thing you can probably do. That is so creepy. Well, one... Why are you wearing pantyhose? If you're going to cut the eyes out, like, wear a hat. I don't know. Like, you're literally defeating of the, the whole purpose of putting pantyhose over your face. It's supposed to, like, mesh your face so it, like, looks different than what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I know this is because my mom always had pantyhose laying around the house. And, I, and Micah and I would always put them on our heads. We, <laughs> we thought it was, like, the funniest thing growing up. Oh, yeah. I don't know why he did that, but that's creepy. No, (laughs) I don't like that at all. (laughs) I learned that fact by researching for this podcast. And I was like, I that's like the worst fact. I hate that fact. (laughs) So creepy. He proceeded to find Cheryl in her room and attack her. The next-door neighbors heard all the commotion. They heard really weird sounds coming from Cheryl's apartment. And so they called the police, 
and said, hey, you got to come over here. There's something going on. And when the police arrived at the scene, they found Cheryl in her bedroom floor. She was bloody, beaten, and she was left to die. She was taken to the hospital in a coma. And here's a quote from Cheryl. I know I had head pain and my face was very swollen. My mom and dad had to tell me what had happened because I really did not know. I couldn't remember what had happened and they had to slowly break the news to me. Cheryl, you were attacked. Cheryl's jaw was broken in two different places. She had a dislocated shoulder and she had five skull fractures leaving her permanently deaf in her left ear and leaving her with balance problems. And let me tell you, I don't know if you guys know this at all, but so obviously you need your balance to do dance. So that is crushing to hear for her and your ears are the only things like controlling your balance Because your ears have these weird, like, tube things in them and these little, like, microscopic crystals. And when they move around, it'll tell your body where you're oriented. And that's what's keeping you on balance at all times. So if that gets damaged in any way, your body is disoriented all the time. I wonder if she gets really bad migraines from that then. Because that has to be even worse. I just, like, that really hurt my heart because being a she was a dance major and like hearing that and hearing that you probably can't even dance again is really that would be heartbreaking but all three of these girls I believe testified against Ted, Ted Bundy in trial in 1979 And Cheryl continued her studies and received a master's degree in dance from the, let me see if I can pronounce it correctly, Gallaudet University, and started working with the hearing impaired, so to help them perfect their art form. And today, Cheryl Thomas is happily married with two children and prefers not to think or talk too much about the serial killer who almost took her life. Yeah, I don't blame her. Mm -mm. No, that has to be just an, oh, blah. Blah. That's all I have to say. Mm Mm-hmm. A little, like, unpopular opinion here but I strongly believe serial killers deserve to die the way that their victims died and I also hate when they say oh what about my rights and it's like what about the people's rights that you decided to take away instantly yeah you don't get a right yeah you took away somebody's friend you know, daughter, mother, sister, brother. It's just it's a like, person too. Like, yep. if you're gonna play God, accept the consequences. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, I just feel like when you're 
looking all this serial killer stuff up, the victims are talked about and survivors, if there are any, are touched on briefly. Maybe their names are mentioned, but they're not, you know, nobody goes in depth with them. Nobody, I never knew that Cheryl Thomas was a dance major and that just made me connect so much more. Talk about it even in the documentaries. Yeah. They just talk about Ted Bundy. They talk about like him. They talk about like all the things that were wrong with him. And it's like, no, no, no. No. We're giving too much to somebody that does not deserve a single credit or he doesn't need to be famous. That's just he doesn't deserve to breathe the same air as anybody else. Yeah. But so next time when you're looking some stuff up or you're interested in something or you're seeing a documentary or the next Netflix show comes out about one of these things, just take a second and remember the victims and the survivors because they're people too. And this, that is why, like, this all happened, you know? Yeah, they're amazing people with the fact especially like the people that live day to day having to live with it yep they have to live with it for the rest of their lives and they deserve to be known at least who they are and their names heard Mm -hmm. well I didn't even want to do the Ted Bundy story I don't like him at all (laughs) I don't like it at all. I actually had, um, I kind of had known about the Weepy Voice Killer, but I didn't know if there were any survivors or anything. So it's nice to kind of do a deep dive into something that, like, I don't know. You don't really, like, hear a whole lot about. Um, yeah. Oh, I have something to add because you um, added how he got captured. Mm -hmm. And for Ted Bundy, if you don't know, the way he got captured was, so when the whole sorority fiasco was going on, the police, the main police chief was radioed in, oh, we have an inmate escape. His name is Ted Bundy. But that was going through everyone's radio stations throughout the whole United States because that happened in Colorado. So he just scribbled out his name, said, okay, we'll just remember that name if we if it comes up i believe he was pulled over in his volkswagen because he was like going too slow on a road but he was it was because of a traffic stop he got pulled over and they found so many ids in his car and all this other stuff and they were like what are you doing with this these many ids like why do you have it was like very very strange interaction and Didn't they got he his have, name like, ropes and stuff in his trunk too you know i i don't want to say yes because i'm not quite sure so i don't know or no he didn't want to give his name that's that's also what he didn't want to give it what his name was and so they took him in and then they finally got his name it was ted bundy and then that police chief was like oh that's our guy because we thought he was all the way in colorado still but no, he's here, and all this stuff just happened. Dun, dun, dun. And they eventually got him in court, 
with evidence um, because of like bite marks. I remember the bite marks because that was the first first time they did that. That yeah, that they ever used it. And his teeth were janky. Like he yeah. has some messed up teeth. So, and then he tried to say they weren't his teeth, and it's like, mm, buddy. You didn't get braces within, like, the last, like, (laughs) two weeks, so whose teeth are these? Yeah. Like, if you're going to have, if you're going to bite somebody, at least get braces first. So, like, your bite mark will match up with everybody else's. Yeah. Ah, well, at least he was caught, and he is gone now, so we don't have to worry about that. And he's dead. He got the chair. Did he get the electric chair? Or did he get... Um, no, yeah, I think it was. You got the electric chair? Back then, yeah, I think that's what it was. I don't know if that's even still around, is it? Uh, I think they uh, give you the blue juice now, nowadays. Um, now it's lethal injection. Yeah, now it's lethal injection. But... I know back in the day you could choose between an electric chair or a gas chamber with cyanide poisoning. Jeez. (laughs) Um, Because that was the original way that Paul wanted to go because he was on death row too. So he got to choose to die by cyanide poisoning, but he ended up dying from cancer. So, Hmm. oh, well. Interesting. Well, I hope you guys liked this installment. It's definitely different than what we talk about. And we definitely wanted to go more in depth of what happened to the victims and just talk about them and their names. And just so you guys know, you know, more about them. Yes, especially all the fun facts we gave you guys today about cats (laughs) yes our cats um and i hope yeah tune in again please (laughs) please we're begging (laughs) please uh we actually have a very very good group of listeners so yes for all of our listeners we love you all we love you so much you cannot leave (laughs) and if you would like Go check out our Instagram, which is survived underscore with underscore Sophie underscore and underscore Lexi. <laughs> and email our Gmail address, which is survived with Sophie and Lexi at gmail.com. Woo! That's how you can reach us at any point. Um, let us know if you have any topics you want us to talk about any crazy stories that's happened to you anything under the sun if you just want to say hi that's cool too (laughs) well next week drum roll please (laughs) it is our kind of like our um spooky stories yes spooky stories So tune in, because we got something exciting for you, but we're not going to tell you that right now. We probably don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) But it will be spooky. Spooky.
Okay. Already. <laughs> so. I'm getting silly. We gotta get off of here. <laughs> this has been Survived. With Sophie. And Lexi. See you next time. Yeah, you have to come back. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> Bye.